Well, thanks for joining us today for worship. I'm Todd Weiland, and I'm the campus pastor at the Overland Park site. We're so glad you're with us today. So now we're going to go to Cheryl, and she's going to read today's scripture reading for us. Hello, Colonial. I'm Cheryl Ernest. I started attending Colonial in 1991 and joined a few years later. You may know me from choir in both locations, God's Garden, and as an usher at Overland Park site. Let's read today's scripture from John 9, verses 24 through 41. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin and would teach us, and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Back in 2009, I finished all the requirements for my ordination in our former denomination. Since then, our church has moved to a more scriptural-centered denomination. And Pastor Jim West, he's our lead pastor, said to me, Hey, Todd, I think it'd be a good idea if you went and preached in some of the other churches in our presbytery. Some are without um, pastors at the time, so they have open, open pulpits on Sunday. And I said, Sure, Jim, that sounds great. And so what I did is I called the presbytery office and I asked him, What do I need to do in order to preach in churches in our presbytery? And they told me I needed to get together a statement of faith. And then I'd need to make an appointment with the Committee on Ministry and then just go down to the Presbytery office at some point and meet with them when they're meeting. And so I prepared my one-page statement of faith. It all fit together on one eight-and-a-half by 11 sheet of paper. So that's a lot to put all your beliefs right there. They had to be very succinct with scriptural support. And I sent those down to the Committee on Ministry at the Presbytery office. And then I made my way down there one evening after I, and, and met with them. And as I went into the room to meet with this committee on ministry, there was a conference table. And on one side of the conference table were the committee members, and then the other side was open for me to sit. And as I was preparing to take a chair and have a seat, I noticed my statement of faith was on the table. 
And of course, it was upside down to me because it was faced for them to see. And I noticed in the center of my paper, they had circled or someone had circled the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And I thought, hmm, I wonder why they circled that. Anyway, I took a seat at the table and they started to ask questions. They wanted to get to know me. So they asked about where I grew up and how I came to faith. And then they wanted to know questions about my education and my employment over the years. And, um, and then it moved into more ministry questions after they you know, asked me questions about my family and so forth. And after the ministry questions, then they moved into the theological category and they started to ask me questions. And this went on for a while. And then one of them asked me, do you believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? And I said, yes. And I started to unpack my view on that and with supporting scripture. And when I got to the very end of speaking, one of the, t- one of the committee members said with a rushed and raised voice, do you mean you believe that Jesus died and then three days later he bodily resurrected from the grave? I just sensed the tension, the ridicule, the judgment in his, the way he asked that question. And as I look at today's passage, I'm thinking of the formerly blind man. My guess is when the Pharisees were asking him questions, he felt similarly from time to time. Let's look at today's passage. Well, after questioning the formerly blind man, and questioning his parents, the Pharisees were not satisfied with the explanations about how this once blind man had received sight. So according to verse 24, when it starts off, they do this second round of interrogation. And the latter half of verse 24 says, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. When it says give glory to God, what it's saying, it doesn't mean, oh, praise God for what he's done in your life. No, Actually, what they're trying to do is separate the miracle from Jesus. It's like an interrogation tactic. They're trying to intimidate the formerly blind man. What they're saying to him is, give glory to God. They're saying, come clean. Tell the truth. Confess your sin. In other words, admit that you are lying to your blindness and the healing by Jesus. And also admit that Jesus is a sinner. Now, keep in mind that the Pharisees ignored objection of some of their number, that a sinner could not do such miracles. Look back at the latter half of verse 16. And it says in there, but others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. The formerly blind man replies, as we see in verse 25, when he states, he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. The formerly blind man gives glory to God, not by denial, but by fearlessly restating what he knows and has experienced. He does not know about the supposed sinfulness of Jesus. But one thing he does know, and not even the Pharisees can shake its certainty. He once was blind, now he can see. And both the Pharisees and the formerly blind man know this challenges the claim that Jesus is sinful. Before the Pharisees could call Jesus a sinner, they must explain how this formerly blind man can now see. 
Then the interrogation continues. The Pharisees go over the same ground again, questioning the former blind man just to see if there were any inconsistencies in his answers. Look at verse 26 and 27. It says, they said to him, the Pharisees said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Oh my goodness, when he said, become Jesus' disciples and ask them that question if they wanted to, they were ticked off. They were angry. And then we look at verses 28 and 29. And they reviled him. The Pharisees reviled him. Now revile is kind of an archaic word. We don't use a lot. But in the NIV, it's interpreted as they, they hurled insults on him. So the Pharisees, they, in, they hurled insults on him saying, you are his disciples, but we, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. At this point, all fairness on the Pharisees' part disappears. Basically, the Pharisees are saying, we know that this man Jesus is a sinner. No evidence can change this conviction. They, the Pharisees, are Moses' disciples, and they know God spoke face-to-face with Moses. We see this in Exodus 33.11. And God gave Moses a law. But the Pharisees say they don't know where Jesus and his authority comes from. Ignorance as to the origin of Jesus is the source of the Pharisees' ill-advised opposition to Jesus. The truth is, however, the Pharisees did know where Jesus was from, but they refused to accept it. What Jesus said, let's look back at John chapter 8, verses 23 through 25. Jesus said to the Jews, he said to them, You are from above, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to them, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I've been telling you from the beginning. You see, Jesus applies Old Testament language to God, to himself here when he says, I am he. Jesus comes from God with a revelation from God, with God-given authority. Amen? Amen. You can also see this in John chapter 7, verses 14 to 16. Or in the passage I was just reading, John 8, 23 to 25. Read all the way down to verse 29. You can also see it in John 3, 31 to 34. Now let's go to verse 30. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. The formerly blind man is saying, There's a basis for his being able to see, and that's because of what Jesus has done. But you religious leaders, you refuse to accept what your eyes are telling you. What he finds amazing is not his own belief that Jesus is a prophet, but the unbelief of the religious leaders. Jesus has healed the formerly blind man's sight, and yet they cannot decide where Jesus comes from. The amazing thing is not faith, but unbelief. Then we see verse 31. We know that God, <clears throat> we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. The formerly blind man states earlier in the passage that Jesus healed his blindness. 
And he further states that everybody knows that God responds to the prayer of the righteous, not of sinners. We see this truth in other parts of Scripture. We can turn to Psalm 66.18. It says, If I had cherished inequity, evil or sin, in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. God doesn't listen to those who deny him due to their unbelief. The formerly blind man goes on sharing that Jesus, therefore, must be a righteous man. And it was God who gave Jesus the power to heal this man's sight. Then let's look at verse 32. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. The healing of a blind man was a miracle. And not only was it a miracle in and of itself, but it was unique as healing of the blind is extremely rare in the Old Testament and connected with extraordinary circumstances. And you can see and look on your own at 2 Kings 6, 8 to 23 to see those extraordinary circumstances or one example of them. Nowhere is there a report of healing of a man born blind. Verse 33. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. That's what the blind man said. This man's explanation for the miraculous healing of his sight was that God sent Jesus and gave him power to do this, gave Jesus power to do this. If Jesus was not from God, he could not have healed this formerly blind man's sight. So in this first section of our passage, we see the formerly blind man taking a stand for Jesus. He gives full credit to Jesus for him giving his sight, even though he experienced intense interrogation by the Jewish leaders. So how does this apply to us? Do you and I take a stand for Jesus? Are we silenced by our peer pressure or our fears? Do we, like the formerly blind man, take a stand for Jesus? Or are we, like the parents who didn't take a stand for Jesus and who were silent under interrogation? Point one is the challenge. We need to take a stand for Jesus as he can use us to impact others for his kingdom. That was a dilemma I was in in front of the ministry committee, the committee on ministry at the presbytery meeting that night. I mean, do I couch the truth and try to answer their question in a politically correct way? Or do I just speak the truth plainly? I chose to speak the truth plainly. And so remember, the question I was asked was, you mean you believe that Jesus died and then three days later he bodily resurrected from the grave? And the minute he stopped asking that question, I responded with an emphatic, yes. And then I sat back. And then I could just sense the Holy Spirit filling me up. I felt, I felt myself getting warm. And then I felt compelled to speak. And I know what it was. It was the Holy Spirit. He was giving me these words. And what I did is I looked the man that just asked the question. I looked him right in the eyes and I said, What do you believe about the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? And he got silent. You could hear a pin drop. And this went on for a bit. And I remember sitting back. And I remember saying to myself, Oh my goodness, I can't believe I just said that. And before anybody could respond, them or me, to what was just stated after the silence, a gentleman on their team took his arms and raised him up in the air and says, We need to stop this discussion. We can have different views on this. And I just remember thinking to myself, 
That's heresy. This isn't right. That's not what scripture says. And before I could say anything or they could say anything, the chair of the committee says, Todd, we need you to leave the meeting room now. We're going to decide if you are equipped and prepared and we feel that you are ready to preach in other churches in our presbytery. And so I left the room and the door closed and I sat out in the hallway and I just started to reflect on what just happened. I mean, the purpose of the meeting is for me to put my views on paper, right? And then I'm to go down to the committee and the committee is just supposed to hear those views and see if they align with scripture. And what I found us doing is we shifted from that to being way out of bounds for the purpose of this meeting. God shifted the purpose. And next thing you know is I'm asking questions of a committee member to a committee member who's treading on thin ice theologically. And so I started to feel pretty good about myself. Hey, I just took a stand for Jesus. And it wasn't long after that I started saying, oh my goodness, what have I done? I started to feel bad about my response. I started to think, oh my goodness, I mean, are they going to prove me to preach in these churches? Or, I mean, this long journey of getting ordained, is it just now coming to an end? And word's going to get out? And I'm going to be deemed not fit for ministry, not being able to preach God's word? And I just responded to the linchpin of the faith, holding it up as truth? I'm sitting there and I'm having all these anxious thoughts just twirling through my mind. And then the doors open to the committee meeting and the chair says, Todd, come back into the meeting. And so I remember making my way back in there. And I remember the chair saying, Todd, we've approved for you to preach in churches in our presbytery. A few days later, I had a conversation with the executive presbyter. And he said to me that he's going to follow up with the members of this committee and just see if they are really fit for being on this committee given some of their non-orthodox beliefs. We need to take a stand for Jesus. He can use us to impact others for his kingdom. He used my mouth with his words for me to shoot these words out to this person that was treading on thin ice theologically to expose them and possibly remove them from the committee to help further the kingdom for other candidates coming through that they wouldn't have a person with non-orthodox beliefs, hopefully. Take a stand for Jesus. He can use us to impact others for the kingdom. Now maybe you're sitting there going, you know, I don't think I'll ever be challenged on my belief theologically like you just were, Todd. Fine. Maybe for you, you're a stay-at-home mom or dad and you have your children and you go out for walks with your kids. And I know with the COVID environment, we have to do safe social distancing. You used to engage people that you'd bump into in the street in conversation. Now you do it at a distance. But the question is, are you doing at a distance? Or do you just kind of walk by with your mask on? Do you try to befriend them with the hope and the intention that someday I'm going to have a conversation with them about their faith because I don't believe they're Christians just from their behavior and from their words and from our prior conversations? You need to take a stand for Jesus as he can use you to impact others for his kingdom by just engaging them. Or maybe you're in your workplace and people around you know you're a believer because you've made statements, you've demonstrated with your behavior. But when you look at many of them, they're not believers. And you can tell by their words and their actions that they're not. 
Are you going to try to strategize with the Lord and get intentional? Are you going to try to get in there and build the relationship with them or just kind of let them keep doing their thing? Get in there and build those relationships. Down the road, maybe Jesus will give you an opportunity to take a stand for him and impact others for his kingdom. We all need to take a stand for Jesus so he can use us to impact others for his kingdom. Let's move on to point number two, the condemnation. You see, you're out there and you're trying to take a stand for Jesus with the hope that some are going to come into the kingdom. But during that process, a condemnation could happen where the spiritually blind may cast you out. And this all happens in one verse, verse 34. Let's look at it. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? And they cast him out. The Pharisees, instead of addressing this formerly blind man's comment in verse 33, remember he said, if this man Jesus were not from God, he could do nothing. They didn't say anything to that. They just pronounced this formerly blind man that you were born in your sin and his blindness was a result of being born in sin and he could not be trusted to tell the truth and his parents were sinners and yet with all this he's attempted to teach them so he cast them out. The Pharisees cast him out. In other words, they expelled him from all participation in Jewish religious life. And this most likely was excommunication feared by this man's parents in verse 22. I don't know if you remember last week when the scriptures read verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. The truth is, The Pharisees rejected the formerly blind man. The Pharisees rejected the miracle of him gaining his sight. The the Pharisees rejected Jesus as the sinless one sent who performed this miracle. And when the Pharisees reject these things, they reject the light and they dive deeper into their darkness. They demonstrate the truth of John 3, 19 to 21, which says, and this is the judgment The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So the condemnation, verse 34, we just heard in this passage, when we take a stand for Jesus we may get kicked out. The formerly blind man took a stand for Jesus, for Jesus giving him his sight, and he got kicked out of all Jewish religious life. So how does this apply to us? Are you, am I, afraid to get kicked out for taking a stand for Jesus? Get kicked out of our friend group or our intellectual group or your family or high school social status? I don't know about you, but I've had my share of ridicule over the years, both with old friends and even my family. Well, that night I was driving home from this Committee on Ministry meeting, and I was just kind of reflecting on what just transpired. And then the Lord led me to kind of recap all the things I've been through. I mean, I think of all the exams I took in seminary and all the classes I took and the written papers and the oral exams that I took, all the ministry experience, the psychological testing, and the list just went on and on. 
And then I remember saying to the Lord, I did all this. I mean, I was in business in the corporate world for eight years. You called me out of this. And I did. I followed you. And then you provided all along the way. And then I get almost ordained, ready to be ordained. And I go to try to do pulpit supply preaching and get approved. And I get asked the linchpin of the faith. I answer in truth. And this is how it ends. I mean, I'm approved to preach in this presbytery, but is word going to travel to other churches in our denomination kind of in a political way? This guy is really not one you want to hire. This guy you got to look out for. I mean, are there going to be scars here, God? Am I going to be blackballed? And so I started thinking, Lord, do you want me to do something else? Do you need me to go back into business? Do you want, is this just a sign? Show me. And with all those anxious thoughts, I just got quiet in my car. I'm driving along. My eyes are open and I'm just crying out to God, Lord, what is it that you want to show me here? And then after I finished my prayer, I went back to reflection. And this is what God showed me. He said, Todd, this is what I interpreted. You've done nothing wrong. You took a stand for me. And I've always provided for you. And I'm going to continue to provide for you. And Just hearing that from him and sensing that gave me a sense of peace. And you know what? I never had an anxious thought about this whole situation ever again. I mean, ever. The condemnation is point two. Remember, when we take a stand for Jesus, we may get kicked out. But know this, as a believer... Jesus has provided for you all this time and he's going to continue to provide for you no matter what happens. Well, again, you might be thinking, you know, take a stand for Jesus. I don't know if I'll ever be put on that theological stool like you were and asked a question like that. Are you a high school student? Great, listen up. Maybe you're part of a popular the popular crowd, right? It's a lot of fun. It's very social. It's very fast. There's always things going down and you love it. You get affirmed in that. People get affirmed in that. You love it. But you know that you're a believer. And you know some of the people in that group are not. You can tell by their words and actions. Are you going to take a stand for Jesus and risk possibly getting kicked out because you can see spiritually Jesus and you're committed to him and you want them to have the same? Or maybe you're part of this reading group. You know, you're an intellectual and you love to gather for your reading group. You guys read through so many books and you discuss it at very deep levels. And the people in your group know that you're a reader and they think you're pretty thoughtful, except when it comes to your faith. Some of them are not believers. But they think, you know, this guy has a faith, he talks about it, but it seems pretty shallow. We never bring it up for serious conversation. He's never offered to bring in a book that's Christian-based where we can hash it over. Are you going to maybe bring in one book of the Bible and say, hey, let's try this for our next reading group and see what happens? Are you willing to take a stand for Jesus and maybe take the risk of getting kicked out because you care about them because you can see spiritually and have salvation. You want them to see spiritually as well, to see the Lord and commit their life to him. We need to take a stand for Jesus and we need to risk it. We may get kicked out, but we're going for it because we care about them and we want them to know Jesus. Let's go to my third and final point. The commitment. Follow Jesus as he's given you spiritual sight. 
Now this wraps up in the last verses 35 to 41. So let's read verse 35. It says, Jesus heard that they cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Son of Man refers to Jesus. Jesus, who's the divine messenger from God, who brings God's grace and truth to people so that they can be brought to God and experience salvation and eternal life. The formerly blind man needs to know Jesus, who gave him his sight, whom he refused to deny. Jesus does not ask, Jesus does not, Jesus does not ask the man if he believes in the existence of the Son of Man, but rather if he'll put his trust in the Son of Man. Then we look at verse 36. He answered, the blind man answered Jesus, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? The Pharisees have rejected the light, but the man who has been open to it, he, but he doesn't understand much about it. So Jesus found him, this formerly blind man, and brought him to a decisive and knowledgeable faith as this man was eager to believe in him. Now we look at verses 37 and 38. Jesus said to them, you have, Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. This is the first time this formerly blind man has been able to really see and understand who Jesus is. And he learns that he's actually looking at the Son of Man. Now that the man understands who Jesus is, he then addressed Jesus as Lord, as opposed to Sir, like he did in verse 36. And he put his faith in him, and he says, I believe. Verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now I struggle a little bit with this first unit. It starts out, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world. What about the scriptures say he came uh, to save and not to judge? And so I look back in John Chapter 3, verse 17, which we've already studied. And look forward to John 12, 47, where Jesus said he came to save and not judge. And I love the way John Piper has addressed this apparent, it's not real, but an apparent contradiction. The contradiction, did he come to judge, Jesus did, or did he come to save? And Piper says the contradiction is only apparent. It is not real. When Jesus said he did not come to judge, he means that condemnation is not his first or his direct purpose. He's coming to save. When he says, for judgment I came into the world, he means that inevitably, as I save people by truth and love and righteousness, a division happens and rebellion is revealed and people are confirmed in their unbelief. The mission of Jesus was not to condemn. It was to save, but he saves by being the truth, by speaking the truth, by doing the truth. And those who are not of the truth refuse to embrace him as Savior and therefore are condemned. The ministry of Jesus, which aims to save, inevitably, inevitably reveals and confirms the blindness and unbelief that condemns. You see, we cannot have eternity with God by committing our life to Christ without the accompanying danger of condemnation if we reject Christ. In other words, if we have eternity with God through Christ, then without Christ, we have no eternity with God. Jesus came to give sight to those who were blind, provided they commit their life to Christ. And those who think they can see are really, in fact, blind 
because they're unwilling to see that in Christ, God claims their loyalty and provides salvation. Now we turn to our final two verses, verses 40 and 41. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say, We see your guilt remains. Jesus' response means that in the Pharisees' blindness to the need and greatness of the offer God makes in Christ, they continue in their unbelief by rejecting the light so they condemn themselves to darkness. So the commitment, verses 35 to 41, we just heard in this final section of this passage, is we need to commit our lives to Christ. We see a discovery and a progression of faith in the formerly blind man here in John chapter 9 with a working up to a climax where he commits his life to Christ. Let me recap. The formerly blind man experiences healing by gaining his sight in verses 15 and this was restated in verse 25. And then he gains increasing insight as he progresses from referring to Jesus as a man called Jesus whose whereabout he does not know in verses 11 and 12. And then he declares Jesus as a prophet in verse 17. And then he refers to Jesus as the one sent from God in verse 33. And then the climax where he confesses Christ is Lord in verses 37 and 38. Praise God. Another one for the kingdom. What an awesome spiritual journey of this formerly blind man that we just witnessed him coming to salvation in Christ. Not only was this formerly blind man physically blind, and gave Jesus, and Jesus gave him his sight, but he was also spiritually blind, and he committed his life to Jesus, so Jesus gave him eternal life. This man was born blind in two ways, but he ended up seeing fully, both physically and spiritually, because of Christ. So how does this point of commit your life to Christ apply to us? It applies to us in two ways. First for us, and second for them. For us. If you're sitting here today listening to this and you've never committed your life to Christ, may today be the day where you trust in Christ. The second way it applies to us is for them. Who's them? Those are the people out there that we're going to encounter this week. May we share the meaning of this account of the blind man who now sees, who spiritually sees Jesus, that is the light in the darkness. Out there, they need to hear this account. They need to hear you and my modern-day account of how the spiritually blind are not a- now able to see through the truth of the gospel, resulting in a faith in Christ, leading to this hyper-meaningful life now and through all eternity. You see, God wants us to share this good news with people we know. Let's thank God for bringing each of us believers out of the darkness. Let's commit to pray to God to lead you and me to someone this week that needs to hear your account of how God opened your eyes to see him. Let's embrace testing of the faith that will lead us to growth. Let's share our God-given sight with those who are still blind so they too will have the opportunity to say, I was once blind spiritually, but now I see. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you now, and if there's anyone hearing this message that's never committed their life to you, may today be the day they do it. Just pray with me. Lord, I've done things that are not pleasing in your sight, and it's called sin. But I believe that Jesus paid the price for my sins on the cross of Calvary. He died, 
bodily rose from the grave three days later, is resurrected, paid the price for my sins, and I commit my life to him. Without you have now eyes to see spiritually. You'll be in eternity forever with God. And Lord, for those of us that are believers, I pray that we would truly live into the blessed rhythms that we talk about at our church. You might be saying, what's blessed? Blessed is the way we reach out to others. We begin with prayer, God, who is it that's spiritually blind that you want me to engage in a conversation with and build a relationship with? And then we listen to their story and, they, and we engage them. A lot of times this is done over a meal we all need to eat. Perfect time to take a break with someone else. And then we share. We figure, excuse me, we serve. We figure out a, through their story, what is it as they're sharing that I can do to serve them? And then we share. We share what Christ has done for them and for us. And then we share how what we've done to commit our lives to Christ and have eternal life because of that commitment. Lord and God, we just pray right now that you would help us to reach out to those that are spiritually blind and risk it. Build those relationships and share the good news with the fear maybe we get cast out, but we're okay because we're doing the Lord's work. And Lord, we just pray in your perfect timing and way, you'll draw each of those people to you. Help us to do our part in being your vessels of sharing this good news. And Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do in the harvest time of bringing them in the kingdom. Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.